Interesting. Uh, Robert Bugby here. Let's see if he slipped out to get a coffee or something like that. Might be talking product tankers also. Um, all right, well, we'll go ahead and get started, and you can join us when he gets here. I'm Chris Weatherby, Senior Transportation and Shipping Analyst at City. It's my pleasure to be here back at Capital Inc. again, hosting the Dry Bulk panel. So we have a great panel. We're going to kick off here with a lot of energy. Um, you know, we have a great panel lined up here. So we have Gary Vogel, who's the CEO and Director of uh, Eagle Bulk Shipping, John Wobensmith, who is from Jenko, the President and CEO, Per Heiberg from Golden Ocean, Lucas Bomparis, who's the President of Safe Bulkers, Robert Bugby, who is going to join us, I'm sure, at some point. Stamatis Dantanis, uh, who's also the president and CEO of Synergy um, Maritime. So I think we have a great panel. Like I said, I want to kick off and, and kind of jump right in. Probably makes sense to talk a little bit about uh, supply demand first, because that's always sort of top of mind for folks. But, you know, clearly there's, there's sort of the, the current event dynamic that probably it makes sense to start off first. Um, so maybe we'll do that. So why don't I just Gary, run to you here first, and can you give us a sense, just sort of what we've been hearing a lot with the U.S. and China and some of the trade dynamics back and forth. You guys play in a little bit of the smaller size, um, you know, vessels. Can you give us a sense of what you think is happening from a demand perspective? Do the trade dynamics that we've been hearing a lot, a lot about, you know, are they, are they stymieing demand right now? Do we expect to see things kind of loosen up as we move forward? You know, phase one deal that maybe is partially done, um, does that help? Yeah, I mean, cl clearly a, a phase one deal, uh, whatever that is, would, would be positive, and of course, and uh, and a purchase of agricultural products, you know, from the U.S. would be per would be positive, um, and the timing would as well, given that we're in the fourth quarter, on the back of the uh, the U.S. harvest. You know, having said that, um, there's been an adjustment around these. Uh, we've we've now been uh, well over a year since last July, and a lot of the soybean, which is a major commodity that we're talking about, um, Brazil has filled that gap. But there's some exogenous things happening. Um, Asian, the swine flu has been extremely detrimental to soybean demand in, in China, so it's going to be the second year in a row with um, contraction in that regard. So I think, you know, overall it, it just hasn't been positive, but any unwinding of this it really is. You know, day one we said that we weren't that concerned about the direct impact for that substitution aspect I was talking about. But if we go back and look at where global growth a year ago, IMF had you know 70 basis points on global growth GDP has been taken off from last mm -hmm. July to now. And that's about $600 billion of, of destruction, if you will. And that, that's meaningful in an industry which is highly correlated to GDP growth. So, so I think the dry bulk in general across the board has done quite well considering the demand side of things. And I think Ted spoke about it, the supply side um, being re relatively muted has yep. really helped that. Absolutely. John, maybe you could talk a little bit about sort of China and, and iron ore and just broadly sort of commodity demand. You know, what are your expectations for 2020? How do you see sort of the demand dynamic playing out? Well, I think um, <clears throat> just building on, on Gary's point, just to take a step back for a second before we talk about 2020, I think what's interesting is um, while the the trade war, the tariffs have been uh, detrimental to, in, in my mind, detrimental to uh, stock valuations and equity valuations. The reality is, particularly on the, uh, on the iron ore front, I, I think it's been beneficial um, to the dry bulk industry. And what I mean by that is, it's very clear that the tariff situation has had an effect on slowing the growth of the, of the Chinese economy. And China, 
in order to counterbalance that, really doesn't have any other way except for direct stimulus into infrastructure building, which correlates directly to the steel industry, which is why we saw steel production last year up 6%. We've seen it up 9% year to date. So while the tariffs, again, have been not great for equity valuations, these stocks just don't screen well because of the relationship with China. But for dry bulk as an industry, I think this has actually been a, a positive thing. So what I'm hopeful is that as we, as hopefully these trade wars unwind, that the equity valuations also start to uh, to improve. Now moving to 2020, I think there's a, there's a few catalysts. One, you know, as Ted mentioned, as Gary mentioned, on the supply side, we still have a very low supply growth, two to three percent projected for next year. Mm -hmm. The overall order book for dry bulk is around 11% of the fleet. 7% of the fleet is 20 years and older, so we expect some increased scrapping as we get into next year, particularly with the regulations. And then on the demand side, you know, we see anywhere from 3 to 4% ton mile demand growth, um, led primarily by iron ore and primarily by Valley coming back on stream into 2020 and 2021. Okay, that's very helpful. Uh, Per wanted to get to you and talk a little bit about iron ore stockpiles and maybe just fourth quarter activity. Internally at City, we've been sort of picking up some dynamics that would suggest that construction activity is picking up in the fourth quarter uh, in China, and we can keep our fingers crossed that it actually does play out. Any sense of sort of your view on, on Chinese iron ore stocks and, and how maybe you think those play sort of in the relative short term over the course of the next you know quarter or two? Yeah, well, what, what we saw was uh, was due to the low yeah, the, the Brazil accident in, uh, in the first half of the year, you saw a big draw on the stocks mm -hmm. of our Norway, which has actually been expected for, for several years because the stocks were high. So, uh, so we were actually expecting them to come down, not for that reason, but, uh, but that happened. Uh, going into what we have seen in, during Q3, it is a start to pick up again. Uh, and then we also see uh, a still, still uh, a high demand for steel and steel products, and so the consumption of the iron ore is still there. But, uh, and, and that both those two factors, and again, Valo saying still keeping up their, uh, their export um, target for, for this year, we actually see a pretty good uh, uh, export volumes or uh, import, depending on how you look at it, uh, for, for a second or fourth quarter as well. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Uh, Lucas, want to get you involved as well. I guess maybe the, a similar question I asked John, how do you think about sort of the 2020 dynamic? Anything specific that we should be thinking about that you think maybe could catch us by surprise from a demand perspective? Uh, look, the important thing uh, in China is that uh, there is a quite a substantial queue in the shipyards uh, for vessels that are trying to install scrubbers, and there are also substantial delays on that we can observe. Uh, this takes a uh, substantial uh, uh, amount of, of tonnage uh, out of the market uh, and uh, we are able to enjoy a very good uh, market right now. Uh, in, this, uh, in the past and in this quarter, we have a very good rates. Uh, I think two, two points uh, we need to make here is, first of all, in China, uh, we have the 70 years from the establishment of uh, People's Republic of China and uh, 2020 is a celebration here and they will do whatever it takes to continue their development. And from the other side, uh, in the United States, we have an uh, election here in 2020. So also here, uh, the, the, the president, the governor will do whatever it takes uh, to have a good year. So I think the prospects of uh, uh, dry bulk, the, I mean, uh, the last quarter and the 2020 will be very good. Okay. 
Robert, do you have a view on, on 2020? Anything that might catch us by surprise in this market or others? Yeah, I think that 2020 is a really big thing. And I think that you're, what's going to surprise investors across, across is that if we just wind this back, so the dry cargo market has turned into a bull market now. It's in its third year since 2016. I mean, whatever we're talking about now with the, this year being a pause, you know, the stocks are up about 250% since that period. We're positive cash flows this year, I think, was a surprise to a lot that the market in the third and fourth quarter was so good in dry cargo. <coughs> and so underneath this, the world of shipping is doing quite well against all the headwinds that everybody has pointed out. And it's doing that partly because of um, what's being talked about and will continue because shipyard capacity has been constrained going forward. And I think what's important partly about 2020 is that it is going to create differences, is already creating changes and strains in the tanker market. Right now, I think, look, we'll vote with our money. We think that for the next you know, six, nine months, without a question, that the tanker market and our investments in Scorpio tankers will be better than any investment you can make in dry cargo. But that dry cargo market is gradually, gradually tightening as we go through, especially in the smaller sizes, because there's so much different um, economies and trade routes opening. And the 2020 aspect, whether it's off hire for scrubbers, whether it is actual rate environment stronger in the tankers and capital going more towards tankers probably in the next year than dry bulk, will be beneficial to dry bulk eventually. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's helpful. And Stamatis, maybe a little picking up on, on what Robert said a little bit about the different sized vessels. When you think about, we've all been very fixated on iron ore rebound and, and Brazil coming back online. When you think about that, have there been any other knock-on effects and other size classes that we've seen? Are there any things we should be thinking about below the Cape size market? Well, <coughs> Synergy, as you know, <coughs> Cape size company. What I want to discuss about the IMO 2020 and the overall effect about next year is the fact that uh, we're also going to have a substantial slow steaming. As you understand, like four-fifths of the global fleet and um, about three-quarters, three if not more, of the Cape size fleet will be slow steaming because they will not be burning the more expensive fuel. That by itself is going to take out a significant amount of capacity mm -hmm. from the water and that will lead into a very strong tightening of the market. So <clears throat> it's not only the favorable demand and supply fundamentals and the fact that the actual fleet is uh, reducing, but most importantly, you will also have a very positive effect coming from, <clears throat> excuse me, from the slow steaming. Yeah, okay, that's, a, that's a good point. I want to get to that in one second. Gary, I'm going to come to you also and, and kind of comment on that sort of smaller vessel uh, dynamic, anything you're seeing specific that um, is interesting as you exit 19 and think about 2020? Yeah, I mean, it, it is uh, w within dry bulk. There are, of course, a lot of differences. We're focused exclusively on the midsize Supermax, Ultramax. <clears throat> and within that, um, the order book is smallest. So, so it's about 8% versus 11 overall. And then on the demand side, minor bulks, which make up about 70% of Eagle's demand, you know, is growing at over 4%. So, so it's, leading, it's leading demand, 
and we're and we're uh, we have a smaller supply side, which I think obviously is, is quite positive. And just to pick up on Stamatis's comment about slow steaming, you know, we expect less than 10% of the mid-size segment to be scrubber fitted. So with 90% of that fleet burning compliant fuel based on forward forward curves, you know, we expect that that would that would slow ships down by about 5%. Um, the ones that are burning compliant fuel based on based on uh, forward more expensive uh, fuel prices. So that together, I think, is extremely positive. And, and uh, you know, with within dry bulk overall, there is that you know unique dynamic within the midsize. That definitely. So you guys, a couple of you guys have touched on um, you know IMO 2020, what it ultimately means. Obviously, that's a huge topic that that everyone's talking about. Um, you know, maybe John, question for you. Let's pick up what Stamatis talked about a little bit in slow steaming. So do you have an estimate for slow steaming in 2020? What do you think the capacity dynamic will be when you think about your ship specifically? Is that likely to be a strategy? Well, so first of all, our, <coughs> our IMO strategy is we are putting uh, scrubbers on our 17 Cape size vessels, our largest ships, which is about 45% of our overall fuel usage. On our, on our mid-size down to our smaller ships, we will uh, we'll burn compliant fuel. I think, there is, um, I think there's a greater ability in the mid-size smaller ships to undergo slow steaming than I see on the capes, because the capes, for the most part, are still running around eco speeds. Um, so I don't see as, well, I don't believe there's as much of a pickup on the, on the larger ships as I do in, in the medium and the, and the smaller size ships. Okay, that makes sense. And per from your perspective, I guess as everyone goes through scrubber implementation, there's been or, or, or uh, has it been added to ships over the course of the sort of back half of this year and into next year. Do you have a sense of how much capacity has been pulled out of the market as as, as ships go through these sort of semi-extended um, dry dockings? Yeah, well, it's. Uh to put it in a percentage, it's, it's difficult because what we see now with the strengthening of the market is a combination of, uh, of uh, air scrubber installations, but also uh, preparing for running on compliant fuel. You sure. need to clean your tanks and, uh, and those kind of things. And also, we see that uh, uh, the owners keeping their fleet in, in the Pacific, uh, strengthening the Atlantic market uh, uh, more. So it, it's it's lead to inefficiency, but but how much that is uh, of the equation, and how much is kind of the ramping up of Brazil uh, increasing export of iron ore again? When when you talk about the rates, it's uh, it's difficult. But so yeah, I wouldn't put out a number, but it, it definitely have an impact on 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 how how the rates are today. Yeah, and, and I think if if you number. if you look at what's happening though right now. I mean, we there's been a lot of disruption already with scrubber mm -hmm. installations, but I, I would tell you, as we get into early November and then into December, I, I think you're going to see it ramp up even more in terms of disruption, and I think there's going to be quite a bit of slippage from owners that were thinking they were going to get their ships uh, installed late November, December into the first quarter, and then you get into Chinese New Year mm -hmm. that's around January 23rd. So I think this scrubber disruption actually goes on at least through the first quarter of, uh, of next year. So for somebody yeah, like me who likes math, and, and my clients obviously like math, how many extra day, or what's the, what's the dry docking numbers for scrubber installation? What would it be for just transitioning from a fuel tank perspective to burn compliant fuel? How many days does that add for an average ship? Stamatis, I see you raising your hand yeah. down. I'll well, throw it down to you. When I first visited the, um, the shipyard back in July, we were the only dry bulk ship at the time installing the scrubber. 
<clears throat> I was there like two weeks ago, and there were like 10 mm -hmm. cape sizes and Valle Maxis installing Scalabra. So this is basically ramping up. <clears throat> In the beginning of the year, I would say anywhere between 25 and 35 days was the original estimate. Right now, we're talking easily between 50 and 60, sometimes more. There was a ship next to us that was actually taking almost three months, and this is not an exaggeration. So it's not, you know, pretty much what it is. It's, it accumulates a lot. There are, the Chinese shipyards have undertaken way more projects than they can handle, and that is basically ramping up. I mean, they're running like crazy trying to find additional docking space to dock all the ships that they have undertaken. So, it's a situation which is going to get even worse, and I agree with John's comment, uh, moving into um, winter and having had three typhoons already, plus the Chinese New Year, the situation is only going to get far worse. Uh, Lucas, go ahead. The discussion right now is not the first quarter of uh, 2020, it's uh, the third quarter of 2020, because uh, uh, from what I can see, all shipyards uh, are uh, fully booked, uh, they have booked the, the, uh, the half year, uh, when we started this, uh, I mean, uh, this discussion about the durations, uh, we were saying that, I mean, several companies said, I mean, uh, very small numbers, about, uh, let's say, 18, 20 days uh, making, uh, installing at sea, uh, to, uh, and then uh, we're moving to 30 days, and right now, I mean, if you ask any broker in the market, they will tell you if uh, the number starts from six, it's very good. Uh, in the worst case, I mean, it could start from seven, or in the best, it from five. I think if, if the company can manage to have, I mean, this is what we, we have achieved until now, on average, about 30 days, this is a very good uh, result. Uh, I don't think that uh, uh, right now, outside the shipyards, there are se several vessels are stuck for 20 days, for 15 days, for 21 days, without any job, because they're waiting just to install scrubbers. This situation will continue for the full 2020, not only for the first half or the first quarter. Robert, is there a view that you have? What's the number, uh, the capacity number related to scrubber installation? I mean, you know, we've heard 60 days, 60 days for a ship to be out. There's thousands of ships that need to go through this process. What do you think uh, that means for capacity? I don't yeah, it, it, it depends. What, it, what, what both of them are saying is completely true. But I mean, it, it, the whole thing with scrubbers at the moment is imagine arriving in Heathrow on that early morning flight at 7 a.m. and you get out and you get into the immigration hall, and there's not only the flights from the U.S. East Coast, from the U.S. West Coast and Asia too coming into London. And there are two queues, two lines. One is a fast line which is okay, that's probably 30 days, 35 days. And then there's the you-know-what line. And that line sometimes is stopped. Doesn't isn't even moving mm -hmm. because they haven't got the immigration officers there or they're coping with the fast line. So that's why I say I don't think, I think it's hard to comprehend just what disruption this 2020 is going to mean. And it, the other thing that's going to happen is it's going to delay other people who might be thinking of scrubbers because the end of the queue gets longer and longer and longer and more and more uncertain, mm -hmm. which will ultimately create a greater and greater advantage for those ships that are in the water that have scrubbers. So the first mover, those people in the fast line, benefit the whole time. So they're out of Heathrow and they're able to grab their luggage first. They're able to get out into the airport and grab the taxis. Whereas a whole bunch of other people, by the time they get out from the airport, there's no taxis there. 
So it's a mess all the way through, and it's very hard for anybody to calculate this, this stuff that's happening. And that's, that's before, by the way, what we're seeing on the product side. And we're the, you know, and Scorpio Bulkers sees right into this because it's the largest shareholder in the largest product anchor in the world. Is there is going to be mayhem in the product anchor side? These spreads are going to widen quite a lot in the next coming weeks and months between between low sulfur and high sulfur. So listen, that's a great setup because I, I think the economics of a scrubber today. The spreads, as you think about it, are, are very important. I still are thinking people are still trying to, to sort of wrap their their arms around it. So as you think about the back of the queue, sort of the slow line relative to the fast line, have, do the economics of scrubber installation change at all? So has the, the price of a scrubber installation that you were quoted a year ago changed meaningfully from what you're getting a quote for today, which may then be installed at some point three or four quarters down the road? I don't know if anybody the has back a view the on back that. Of the back of the queue is the back of the queue. Sure. Yeah. Two, two years out is like nothing. It's an eternity in shipping. Sure. Right? We're, we're describing an environment where at the moment, all I said was I think that, dry, that the product tankers will provide a better return than dry over the next six to nine months. But you're setting up increasingly every day a market where you're going to get superior returns in dry cargo ships towards the latter half of next year because people are going to be paralyzed from making decisions. They're not going to ordering new ships. They're not going to be investing capital. And that scrubber thing is miles away. Yeah. The guy who's got the scrubber has taken it and run. People who are against the scrubbers don't understand the real calculations involved the other way. is Once you paid your $2.5 million to have a scrubber, that's it. It's a capitalized cost. It's depreciated over the rest of the life of your ship. It's done. I mean, just, yeah, to, just to add to that, to put it in context, on our, on our program, I mean, and it's not often I think first mover has been, benef you know, uh, um, been rewarded in shipping, but I think this, is, this case is, is different. If, if our scrubber f uh, fleet was fitted six months down the road based on the current fuel spread of 240, we, we would forego about $24 million of incremental cash flow just over those six months. So in that regard, two things. One, you're missing that. And two, I think general view, and we share that, is that over time that fuel spread will mitigate. Mm -hmm. So whether it's 250, 350, or, or, or 200, long term, uh, we, we believe that the, the biggest amount of volatility and the widest spreads will likely come in the early days. But that, that number that I put out there is based on, on current fuel spreads that sure. you can trade on. And as a company, you know, we have taken some of those hedges in place because we think that's just good math. Yeah, makes sense. Who else has hedged fuel out for 2020 to some degree? Anybody else on the panel? Mas? Well, <clears throat> we have actually hedged um, all the IMO 2020 strategy of the company. Um, we didn't go out and spend the capital to install the scrubbers ourselves. We didn't want to burden our shareholders with the cost of compliance. So whatever we did, we did in, in uh, partnership with our charter. So the way that we approach the whole matter is that we teamed up with uh, some of the world's largest dry bulk charters. They're paying for the scrubbers. We are actually getting paid for the majority of uh, the off-hire, which is very important. You know, we're not just getting the cost. We're actually being paid for all this, um, you know, very heavy installation schedule that we need to do, which is anywhere between 45 and 55 days. So that has been our approach. And we have also hedged 
the supply of compliant fuel that we're going to require for the first quarter of next year for the non-scrubber fitted ships. So mm -hmm. we've done the whole thing. We know the cost. Um, the actual installation cost is basically going to be borne by the charterers in partnership, and the rest is fully heads for the first quarter of uh, 2020. So we know exactly when, where, and how much we're going to procure the bankers. Because what people don't realize is not only, okay, you install the scrubber, you're going to burn compliant fuel, sorry, heavy sulfur fuel and all that. The big question here is that, are you going to find the heavy sulfur fuel? Is there going to be a markup? Mm -hmm. We saw like a month ago that the markup for supplying heavy sulfur fuel in Singapore was like $100. So yeah, the spread looks amazing on paper. It's 250, 300, whatever. But what is actually going to be the cost of having the, say, the high sulfur delivered on board your ship? So this is the big question here of what are the owners doing in order to get that delivered on board the ship. Okay, sure. so when it comes to this high sulfur thing, that's different too, because those op companies that are big operators have got contracts. They'll have contracts with the majors. We have a, as a group contracts with the majors to provide the high sulfur fuels. Some of these contracts are even at discounts to what you're seeing on the screens. So if you take a Scorpio Balkers, it's not just hedged, it's whatever, you go even further than a hedge. You're actually pressing the position. Because first of all, you're, you're going to have access to the high sulfur fuel at, at, at competitive rates. Second, you've got, you've got a brand new fleet that's eco-friendly so it consumes less fuel. Mm -hmm. Third, they're going to have scrubbers on board every one of the ships. And fourth, you have a 40% you know, of your equity value invested in the largest company in the world that is the major beneficiary of the actual EMO 2020 rules. Got that's, it. So that's whatever the opposite of head, that's like fully loaded. You're pressing it, you're pressing. pressing. That's yeah. good, okay. Um, Lucas, run us through your thoughts on the math of, of the scrubber. What's the, what's the payback? What do you need from a spread perspective and how long do those spreads need to sustain in order to recoup the investment or actually make a return on the investment? Look, if, uh, for example, uh, we take the biggest, uh, we can hedge uh, today, the 2020, uh, and I think this, uh, the price difference is about uh, 235 uh, to 250, what we have uh, seen mm -hmm. uh, uh, dollars per ton. Uh, if you assume, I mean, a, a medium-sized vessel like ours burns about uh, 6,500, 7,000 tons per year in fuel. So you may understand that this is about uh, 1.6, 1.7 million dollars uh, in difference. So just if you want to hedge it, you get 1.7 million <laughs> right now. Uh, and uh, the cost of the scrubber uh, together with the uh, lost time for installation, which is about a month, uh, it's about, let's say, 2.8, 3 million uh, at maximum. So it's uh, less than two years, uh, the depreciation, what I, uh, uh, the, the, the payback period. Now, what I would like to say is that each company has uh, its own strategy, and uh, I don't think that the one strategy is better than the other. Uh, if you, for example, for, for us, uh, we are installing in half of our fleet scrubbers, in the other half we have, uh, I mean, they're mostly eco-ships, so we will compete on the basis of uh, fuel consumption. Um, the important thing for us, for scrubbers, is to install as many scrubbers as we can this year, so we will be the first uh, in this fast uh, track, uh, as uh, Robert says just, uh, uh, just before. Uh, if you make the investment, uh, you get the payback uh, yourself. If you do it with someone else, 
and he pays the investment and he will get the payback uh, himself. So it's, uh, it's about uh, uh, various strategies. If, if you are late, I, I don't think the situation will end up, uh, as uh, Gary said, I don't think that the situation will, will uh, stop in 2020, as people say that in, uh, ah, in half a year or in uh, a year, the, this differential will, uh, will uh, go away. I think it will last for several years and it will be, always be there. So all people who, will, uh, who have installed scrubbers, who will install scrubbers in 2020 or even 2021 will benefit from this installation. Got it. Per, I want to get your perspective on, we, we've talked a lot about IMO and there's more to talk about I think there too, but we'll, we'll put that, I, I guess you can't really put it aside, but in connection with that, how do you see sort of fleet development in 2020? So uh, there's been a narrative about scrapping, particularly re related to IMO. So older vessels, less fuel efficient, might need to come out of the market because they won't be competitive. But what do you think sort of scrapping looks like and, and what do you think actual deliveries look like in 2020? Well, if you look at the order book, it's uh, as Gary said, it's it's, uh, it's it's lower in the smaller sizes, and it's uh, and it's fair to say that it's, it's relatively high in the in the largest uh, sizes, the, specifically the the Newcastle Maxus that were ordered a couple of years ago. They they are coming on the water right now, and, and that will that will last into 2020. Uh, but looking looking further than than that delivery, then then actually uh, I think the order book is uh, is manageable. It's coming will come down to let's say. 9% of the of the total fleet, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, and also as John said earlier, the, the the older part of the fleet. I think it's uh, seven and a half percent if you if you look at vessels uh, older than 20 years, and and those are the the most fuel consuming uh, vessels. They are also coming up for or when they are coming up for the next special survey, they need to install a ballast water treatment system, uh, so that's two two and a half million, and mm -hmm. then they don't have a scrubber, and they are the least efficient vessels. Uh, in my view, that that will lead to in increased scrapping, uh, at least if, if you see the, the, the market rates, if they develop as, as the market expects them to be now in 2020, it's, uh, I think the forward rate is around 16,500 for, for a regular Cape. And then if you have these older vessels, they will get paid less than, even less than that because they're not, uh, not as efficient as, a, as an index vessel. So, uh, so I think that the scrapping will, will pick up uh, in, in that context. Let me ask Which another question sort of on, market. on the other side of the supply side. When do orders come back? That's something that, as an analyst, I always fear. So, Lucas, you want to? Seems like you want to jump on that. So. I'll tell you one uh, difficulty. I think that we probably most companies have. First of all, all companies, uh, all big companies, are installing scrubbers and uh, spending money there. The second uh, substantial problem that we have is that we have another regulations which will come later on <laughs> in 2023, which is decarbonization and new regulations about uh, new environmental regulations about uh, carbon emissions. We don't know <coughs> the industry how it will look like after uh, three, four, five years. So sometimes, uh, as a company, we consider it's a premature to discuss a new building uh, because uh, we don't know what kind of new building. <laughs> Uh, we should uh, we should like for the sure. future. Uh, we are doing some research on that, uh, but uh, the new buildings of 2025, let's say, will be completely different from what we have today. New fuels, uh, new technologies. Uh, uh, we need to have the decisions of IMO. So I don't say that uh, companies will not place uh, uh, additional new buildings, but uh, I think uh, if I had to take a decision, I would be very skeptical on on. On what am I am I investing in a ship of past generation or in a future ship? Yeah, uh, Robert first, uh, then we'll go to Stamatos. 
I think there are a number of breaks on new buildings for the time being. The first is the actual balance sheets of the owners. Mm -hmm. The second is that a lot of the public companies are, you know, are just going to be more disciplined than the, than they've been before, if for no other reason than their shareholder bases for the time being are not going to support new building orders. Third, the actual value of the companies are trading so far below in AV that there wouldn't seem to be the best return on capital to first start to order new buildings. But ultimately, you know, it is going to come and whether it's tankers or whether it's dry bulk, it's actually everybody from that side of the desk that's going to determine how many new buildings are given because if you guys are stupid enough to put, put, put money into you know, new IPOs with use of proceeds new buildings or secondaries use of proceeds new buildings, then yeah, we'll get new buildings. Smartest? Well, I don't think that um, anybody in his right mind is gonna put a new building order when you have like um, a new building ship costs 55 million a five-year-old ship costs like 26, 27, mm -hmm. and it turns basically the same amount of hire. So I think it's crazy right now to consider new buildings when you can have the same earnings capacity on an older ship, and I'm referring to Cape size right now. So it's completely crazy. However, at a certain point, we need to see some sort of a new building coming in, not right now, but in the next few years, uh, because the fleet needs to start getting renewed. You have the global Cape size fleet, the standard Cape size fleet, which is actually getting older. We have had this highest multiple of a new building as compared to a five-year-old ship for the longest period of time in history. So it's not only a problem of, let's say, 2019 or a problem of 2020. We've seen this high multiple since 2015, 2016. So it's been five years that we haven't actually seen any real new buildings coming into play. So what happens is that 70% of the global Cape size fleet altogether as a deadweight capacity is getting older and older. So five years down the road, all this fleet is gonna be close to 20 years. Mm -hmm. So at a certain point, we need to see some sort of a fleet renewal happening. It's not a problem for now, but I think it's gonna be a problem for 2021, 2022, if we really haven't seen any improvement in the actual market. Okay. When you think about um, what Lucas mentioned about upcoming regulations beyond 2020, that seems to have to have uh, play a part in, in how you think about those, those vessels, those potential new vessels in the future. I don't know, Gary or John, if you have a view on sort of what you think those ships might look like. And if you hear from the yard, I mean, I'm guessing yards are always pitching you about potential new business. What, what sort of the solutions that they're talking about beyond 2020? I mean, look, there's obviously a big <clears throat> push on the LNG side right mm -hmm. now. Um, we've seen BHP out there um, trying to coerce um, a set of owners to build LNG-fired ships based on a long-term contract. I, I mean, I'll, I'll just go back to what Lucas was saying, and, and I think this is the biggest concern. I, I think it's a little bit of a waiting game okay. because LNG itself is still not, while it cuts back on greenhouse gas, it, it is nowhere near a, a zero emission fuel at this point. Um, and I think there are, uh, there are other options that don't seem viable at this point, such as hydrogen or fuel cell technology, that hopefully, eventually, we will get to a point where one of those um, is, is, uh, is viable. 
I'll also go back to, I mean, this new building, I just think we are in such a unique period over the next few years because there are so many roadblocks, which everyone to my left um, mentioned going mm -hmm. forward. But it's great to talk about how we feel, but the reality is, and, and I think, I think Stamatis brought it up, is where the pricing is today. Resales are still below new buildings. Yep. Yards are not making money even mm -hmm. at the new building prices today. And so it's great for us to talk about it, but anybody on the investor side, the supposedly smart money, is not going to or should not come in and do large-scale orders just clearly on the, on the map today. Yeah. And, and I, I don't see that going away anytime soon. And I do think there is, again, big uncertainty in what we should actually be building. And I don't think that becomes that clear until after 2023. Very good point. Gary, do you have a view on that? Yeah, I mean, we, we uh, you know, actions speak louder than words, right? We, we uh, four years ago, said, you know, I think the world has enough dry bulk ships. And unfortunately, even as, as minimal as supply is right now, the ships being delivered today have been ordered in the last few years, and frankly, we don't need them. Uh, so we'd be in a better place without those ships coming. But I, but I agree, the secondhand values, we've, we've acquired 20 Ultramaxes over the last three years, all between zero and four years old, because we believe there's better value in those. And right now, based on the spot market, you're talking about a mid-teens unlevered investment at a time where we're about to approach IMO 2020 supply. All these things are positive. And, and again, on the back of what's been a really challenged demand environment. So I fully agree with, with my peers that there's good value in secondhand quality ships here, and we don't need to be adding to the, to the uh, supply side of things, both because it's not good math and, and also, you know, if you, if you buy a secondhand ship, you're taking a view on the forward market. If you order a ship, you're changing the forward market, right? You're adding to the supply side. And, and it's just, it's simply not helpful um, in, an, in, a, in a market which has been you know, plagued by over oversupply. So may, maybe in the future we'll have a problem with not enough new ships, uh, Stamatis. I, I haven't seen that in, in quite a long time. Uh, I'm not worried uh, from that standpoint, but, but you, you might be right. But right now we, we don't have that. And, and, uh, and, you know, buying secondhand ships, like I said, I, I think is, is good value, which is why we continue to, uh, to renew and grow our fleet through that, through that, that method. Got it. Um, I wanted to touch on rates for a minute and your outlook on rates and obviously leave time for questions from the audience if there are any. So um, maybe, Per, we'll start with you. you know, any thoughts on, on where you think rates go in 2020? I always like to press you guys a little bit on a view. Maybe get as specific as you can. You can pick a size ship if you want, but, but what are your views for next year? Now, well, normally we... Uh what, what we see in the Cape size market, uh, at least, is that uh, uh, the participants normally price against the forward curve. Uh, and then if you, uh, like, well, we have the majority of our fleet is, uh, is newer and more eco-friendly and, and calculating better than, than an index vessel. So, uh, so just by that, uh, we should uh, have a better earnings than, than, uh, mm -hmm. than what the curve is telling. The curve is 16,500. I think that's uh, well. My my personal view is that that's that's a bit low. I think we will see a better market than that. Okay. But uh, but as we as we have talked about right now, it's it's enough uh, dry bulk vessels in the world, so it, it will uh, it will not be as I see it a, a massive spike. But it, it uh, I think it will be better than than what we see in the forward market. 
Do you think we can get back, maybe Stamatis for you, do you think we can get back to long-term averages on CAPES in 2020? It like has we're to about 40% yeah. below that in September. No, it has to happen. Uh, in my opinion, the demand supply fundamentals, especially on the CAPE sizes, are actually better than the VLCCs. Okay. We should see the market, you know, climbing higher. But, you know, we don't have the discipline as ship owners sometimes to take that. I mean, you know, we surrender to the charters by getting one or two dollars per ton below, you know, the market and the holding of back cargo. So we're being captive of this, you know, weird situation. The market needs to go higher and it has to go higher. And we have some of the best demand and supply fundamentals, especially on the capes, for many years. Anybody else care to venture a guess on, on where they think, educated guess on, on where we think rates are going to be next year? Gary? Yeah, well, <clears throat> when I was 25, I might have given you a number. Uh, I won't do that. I've been, uh, I know enough not to do that. But what I would say is I, I look to whether, you know, in, in our sizes, we, we believe demand, even given where we are today, is outstripping supply. I mentioned the minor bolts earlier, and that's constructive to higher higher rates. And to Stamatis's point, you know, we, we've been in a challenging market a long time, and and you know, obviously there's some unique drivers going on in the V market, but it's an open call auction type environment, which means you know it's willing buyer, willing seller, and it doesn't take much for this market to move dramatically. And and you know, I'm not saying we're going back to the mid 2000s, but I remember at that time when. You know, every week it's like, well, how, that's not possible, and then it's possible. And I and I do think that when you get to a point where demand, you know, outstrips supply, things move really quickly. Yeah. And given the dynamics of of potentially slow steaming, unwinding of of, of you know some of the demand, uh, you know, headwinds that we've had, you know, it, it can really they can act in concert in a really positive way. So I'm definitely uh, constructive on higher rates for next year. To Robert's point, you know, we came off. Uh, the low of early 2016, and it's been a pretty steady march, notwithstanding typical, you know, volatility and some, you know, individual. It's been a pretty steady uh, recovery over those few years, and and I think 2020 uh, is going to bode well for dry bulk overall. Robert, I, I think people should look and just say it's incredible how strong the. Uh, we're not Cape size owners, so I'm not here talking about the Capes. I'm talking here about the ships that Gary and us have is that that market has been amazingly resistant, had a lot of bad news thrown at it. So a little bit like when you guys look at stocks that have managed to throw off bad news, but still sort of keep sort of moving along. I'm gonna go out, I don't think it's actually going out on a limb, I'm just sort of following what I think, you know, it'd be a trend here. I would say that every single quarter in 2020 on a year over year basis will be at least 20% higher in 2020 than 2019. And that's probably not a big ask if you're looking at a modern <coughs> vessel with scrubber fitted against last year's vessels. So I'll have to go a little bit more higher than that. So I would say 30% higher on a time charter equivalent okay. every quarter for going forward every year for those mid-sized smaller vessels because there's nothing coming in. You could actually have at some points in the market, believe it or not, you could have negative supply growth if you have certain delays and pileups and delays related to 2020 fuel situations, etc. Got it. That's great. Any questions from the audience? Want to make sure if anybody does have one, we can squeeze it in. One final question I had for the panel was about, um, I guess, about 
duration, um, I guess term on contracts, do you think that IMO 2020 and all of what we've been talking about from a supply and demand perspective has the potential to bring real term back to the dry bulk market in the respect that you might see three and five year deals, God forbid, longer than that, but is that something that we could potentially see? Is there enough uncertainty in the market if you're a shipper that you, or, or as a cargo owner that you'd want to do? That's the modest, you had your hand up. Yeah. Well, right now we are caught in a bit of a vicious cycle mm -hmm. because of the FFAs. So the way it works is that you have like, especially on the Cape sizes, you have like five big charters that go on the fix some ships. They take them in like, let's say 10 of them. The next day they go and they sell the FFAs. So the market goes down and the next day it's a bit of a vicious circle. So I think that from 2020 onwards, this is going to change and it has to change. We need to see some normalization of the market on the basis of the actual demand and supply, not what the FFA denominates, which in my opinion is a, not a good uh, indicator of the market. So we need to see that, you know, stopping at a certain point. We cannot have the FFAs denominating where the spot rates are going or the period rates are going. So we need to see the actual demand supply, which is very favorable to overcome all these paper issues. Got it. Anybody else have a view? I don't, we're taking chips in at the moment. Off our, off our private side, we're actually time chartering ships in. I don't, I don't think this is a market you want to charter out in dry cargo. As I said, the market is, is set to improve over the next years. Yep. Got it. Well, in the interest of time, we're going to stop there. Thank you, gentlemen, very much. Appreciate it. Very helpful.